Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome along to your January edition of the Reds Review, your monthly audio magazine for all things Liverpool Football Club, right here on the Anfield Index podcast channel. I am your host, Andy Wales, and this month I am delighted to say I am joined by my PWI cohort, none other than Mr. Mo Chatra. Good evening, Mo, and uh, welcome along. Evening, Andy. Um, glad to be on. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, pleasure's all mine and uh, some people may have noticed you are um, shall we say a little sceptical of FSG so um, I think fair to say that we we could have an interesting discussion ahead (laughs) well um, as usual when it comes to transfer windows the owners have been a big talking point I've talked a lot about them on Twitter and elsewhere and uh, needless to say, uh, I'll have one or two things to say about them during the course of this conversation. <laughs> exactly. Don't you hold back. Don't you worry about it. Um, first of all, before we get into things, uh, what I have been doing this uh, this season is a little segment to, to kick us off, uh, being Meet the Guest. So, uh, Mo, you know, just tell the listeners how and when it was that you actually became I'm a Liverpool fan. How did how did this uh, wonderful roller coaster of emotions all kick off for you? Well, um, I actually became a Liverpool fan around 1985, and um, so I was a kid living in London at the time, and uh, in the part of London that I lived in, um, the local football f- fans. Um, Sorry, the fans of the local football teams generally were the same people that were marching through my my local streets um, in a certain apparel on behalf of the National Front. So uh, needless to say, we we weren't uh, looking to associate with them and therefore not with the local teams. So I was looking to other clubs elsewhere and I went shamelessly with the crowd at school. And uh, at that time, the thing was to support Liverpool Football Club. So... uh, I joined um, that uh, bandwagon and um, I'm still on it 32 years late, 33 years later. And uh, yeah, plenty of highs, obviously many lows as well during that time. uh, But I wouldn't swap it for anything else. Um, Liverpool have always been a big part of my life and um, I've always enjoyed following the club. It's a special club and... um, I could never dream of 
switching allegiance to anyone else even though you know i've now obviously got children and you know the inclination is for your children to perhaps support the local team but i just couldn't allow that to happen they have to follow good man their dad's footsteps and uh, i'm glad to say that both my boys are a uh, diehard liverpool fans as well yeah that I'd say it's it's not it's not so important as how you become a fan. It's it's can you uh, can you go through it? Um, yeah, the highs are great, and they sometimes they drag you in, but the lows, you know, that that's the test. And uh, and I probably I became a fan similar time a little bit earlier, but um, yeah, still hanging around. You just uh, and that's the same thing, similar thing. You just can't let go, no matter how much pain they put you through you just can't let go you can't walk away it's um it's it is quite unique and it is a special club and it's why we you know it's why we're here it's why we're talking about them uh we do love them even though they drive us mad sometimes and they absolutely do and january has been one such month where the um they've driven us to distraction at times um so main talking points this month it's it's been quite an eventful one and obviously the the big talking point of this month more is the the January transfer window. Now, obviously, it started all very um, very pleasantly. Um, oh, everyone was riding high, and you know, every <laughs> we were all very very happy. We you know officially announced Van Dyke, we he got wheeled out, and all the rest of that, absolutely superb. Then come the uh, the not so good points. Uh, we move on to selling Coutinho after many of us thought that proper. Well, I certainly didn't think we'd do it in January. I expected him to leave, but not January. I thought it would be the summer. But then we get into the situation where he's not going to be replaced. And then we start to see players going out on on loan as well. Daniel Sturridge, uh, a senior player, but uh, others as well. So more just your thoughts on the January transfer window. It all started so positively, didn't it? Um, Obviously, the Van Dijk um, signing was... Not exactly unexpected, but still a massive relief. The fact that we did manage to get him over the line um, for January. Clearly, many of us felt um, amongst the fan base that uh, we needed to bring somebody defensive reinforcements in because we'd already dropped needless points in the first half of the season due to defensive errors. And, you know, it was the same usual suspects making the same mistakes. Um, either in the back four or indeed uh, the goalkeeper. So, you know, it was a relief that um, the man that we'd wanted for quite some time, we finally landed him. Um, but the fear, even when it was more or less announced just a few days before the 1st of January, was that, well, does this mean that uh, Coutinho might be off? Are we needing to sell in order to buy and, um, you know, people talking about that online and elsewhere. And, um, you know, you can certainly make the argument that that's exactly what transpired. Yeah, it's well, that, that whole thing. I mean, how did you feel actually, you know, when Coutinho went, did you did you feel at that time that we would sign someone this month? You know, did, were you still kind of feeling, you know, not totally let, let down that, OK, the move's gone through. We didn't expect it, but that's happened. It's done. We got a lot of money for him, um, but we'd expect to get somebody in this month. Did you Did you feel that way? Well, around the time that the talk emerged that um, you know we might be selling him because 
if you remember, the, the rumours all really started to gather some momentum when the club and Klopp in particular were not ruling out the possibility of Coutinho moving in January. And um, I think at that point I was suggesting that, uh, well, OK, yes, we have signed Van Dijk, but I don't expect anyone else to come in. And the reason I was saying that is because of history. FSG do not like to bring players in during January. Um, yes, there have been windows when players have been brought in. But that's usually due to cock-ups in the summer windows. So if you think back to um, the summer of 2012, they cocked up royally at the end of that transfer window by not bringing in a single replacement for Andy Carroll, who went out on loan to West Ham, which resulted in FSG apology. So they quickly then lined up moves for Coutinho and Daniel Sturridge, and they brought them in in January 2013. Likewise, um, with this window, um, they brought in Van Dyke because they completely messed up the deal to bring him in over the summer. Um, but usually they don't like to spend money um, on players and bring them in during the January transfer window. Um, so I, I was sceptical and uh, I thought, no, th- this, this doesn't feel good. I, I did feel that they were actually selling Coutinho to finance the Van Dyke move, even though they obviously through the local press insisted that that wasn't the case, that the money was there to finance Van Dyke. Um, you know, I just look at look at the situation from the summer. Um, had Coutinho gone in the summer, I think that we would have offered the money that Southampton were after and brought Van Dyke in at the end of August. Um, but because we didn't move Van Dyke on, um, perhaps because of the way in which Barcelona conducted themselves, I think. FSG put put their foot down and said, well, no, we're not going to be bullied into selling him just because they're playing the usual tactics. Um, and so, you know, Van Dyke didn't come, then Phil stayed, um, but the manager wanted Van Dyke. And the feeling for me was that, well, for him to come in, somebody had to go out and that somebody was Phil, Felipe Coutinho. But what about, I mean, you feel that this is FSG then, that they don't like to, to spend the money in January. What about if it's Klopp? If it, you know, I mean, it is, I've got to say it, it's a, it's a normal situation for for German clubs. And, and I get, you know, he's so ingrained in that, in that thinking that you do your business in the summer. You try to do your business as early as possible, plan for the season, go through the season. And you only make any changes in the January transfer window if you absolutely have to. And often what the German clubs are doing is announcing pre-contract deals or they're working towards getting stuff done ready for the summer. So is it not possible that this is... This is all Klopp because, I mean, that's what we hear, that he's got the the first and final say on, on everything that... He doesn't really want to do an awful lot of business uh, in the January transfer market that he, he wants to wait until the summer. Oh, it's completely possible and perhaps even probable that that's exactly what happened. And it was all driven by Jürgen Klopp. Um, we do know that he likes to have players within his group who are fully committed to the cause. And um, if they do want to um, look elsewhere, if they are attracted by the flirtations of rival clubs or clubs abroad, um, then perhaps he, he's of the he, 
he's minded to say, well, okay, if you're not fully committed, then off you go. Um, I think that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. And I feel that that's actually displayed very weak leadership by the club uh, and FSG in particular, because if all that a player needs to do is just to say, look, I don't want to be here. I'm unhappy. I want to go. And we say, okay, well, if you're not committed, off you go. If that, if that's the approach, then, you know, we, we can say that, you know, the likes of Salah, Mane, maybe Firmino will be very easy for them to move on, you know, in the next couple of years because Coutinho is now shown in the way to get out. And, uh, that, that for me is worrying because if you look at other clubs, like, let's look at Leipzig. Now, this is a club that didn't even exist when the iPhone came out 10, year, 10, 11 years ago. And yet they've shown more strength, more tenacity um, to stand up for their club and put in the club ahead of a player. Because make no mistake about it, um, uh, you know, Naby Keita absolutely wanted to come out of that club and join Liverpool in the summer. And he absolutely wanted to leave them again in January. And on both occasions, the, the club said, look, we don't care if you want to move on. You're too important to what we want to achieve this season. And we need to put the interests of the club ahead of your interests. You are staying. There's no discussion to be had unless Liverpool Football Club make an absolutely extortionate offer, which we cannot refuse. Clearly, the club, Liverpool, that is, didn't make that extortionate offer and um, the player stays. But that kind of uh, example set by a much, much smaller club um, just shows how soft and easy FSG are that they, again, didn't look at the bigger picture and have potentially sacrificed our opportunity to win at least one trophy and possibly even risk our chances of making the top four. Sure, we had a great result um, the other night against um, uh, Huddersfield and, you know, we're in a good position in terms of the top four. But, you know, there's still 13 games to go and the teams around us, you know, can certainly um, you know, ensure that they finish stronger than us. And if we have a rough time of it injury wise, then who knows, we could easily drop out of the top four. And imagine if we finish fifth, you know, then we're going to hear the same excuses. Right. Well, it's so difficult to buy top quality players without Champions League. Um, you know, the market is difficult to compete against you know those clubs that are in the champions league we hear that every time that we don't make top four and yet look at clubs that don't finish top four like arsenal look at the players that they've signed during this season without champions league football lacazette um henrik mkhitaryan obamayang exceptional players you look at chelsea and the players that they signed without champions league football um the other season you look yeah. at uh, the players Man United have signed when they've been out, out of the Champions League. They don't come out with these excuses. Only Liverpool Football Club, only FSG come out with these excuses. Um, so, 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 you know, for me, this is just um, the, the icing on the cake where FSG is concerned as a transfer window because it demonstrates to me that they just don't have the hunger. They don't have that relentless um, desire to really win trophies for them all it is about is is finishing top four 
and achieving top four. That is the end goal for them because that is what will help them to sustain the value of the club and ensure that the club, um, in terms of revenue, is hitting its targets. Um, but in terms of trophies, they're merely a bonus. They're not the be-all and end-all for them. Would it be fair for me to say then that, in in kind of summarisation, that you're almost suggesting that if if FSG are not restricting the manager to to go out and make the signings, then then it should then they should actually be more ambitious and more insistent upon him that he does go out there and he does reinforce the squad. Uh, and if it's and if it's not them, then then you know it is they have an issue there in the the whole infrastructure of the club that the that the manager is too powerful almost. You know he's allowed to sit back and 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 not you know not be so, as as aggressive in in the market as as perhaps the club needs to be. Absolutely, um, and that was demonstrated even before Klopp arrived. You think back to um, 2012 when they got rid of Kenny and were looking for a new manager. Brendan Rodgers, who at that point had achieved virtually nothing in the game. Sure, he'd achieved um, promotion with Swansea, had a decent first season in the Premier League, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, he was a minnow on the managerial front, and yet he was telling FSG, "I won't come to your club to ma- become the manager unless you do away with your plan of having director of football, um, basically controlling recruitment." And they they accepted him, uh, accepted his request which is just um, an absolute huge mistake by them because I think that that's cost us significantly over the last six years. Brendan Rodgers, as was clearly demonstrated, had no eye for talent whatsoever. The fact that he felt Fabio Barini should have been his very first signing, that should have been a warning sign in itself. Um, And yet, you know, look at the other players that he either brought into the club or wanted to bring to the club, the likes of Ashley Williams. Um, that just told you everything you needed to know about his eye for talent. Um, so the yeah, fact that uh, we just, didn't... Uh, just, sorry, I was just going to say more. So just the final thing then really with it, to take it in on the, the whole January transfer window thing. Yeah. What do you see then as, as the future for the club with, with FSG? Do, do you feel that the, the only way forward for the club is to find... Um, uh, owners who have the financial capacity to, you know, to inject money in some way to to help Liverpool compete with with uh, some of the the higher um, the bigger team. Well, I hate to say that the bigger teams that the clubs that have that higher revenue. Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way. Um, yes, they have overseen. Um, improvements in certain respects. Um, the whole thing around FSG being great on the commercial front is a complete myth. I wrote an article about it for Anfield Index um, two or three months ago. Dispel that myth completely. Um, they've been pretty decent on the commercial front, but we were actually the second strongest in the league commercially before they arrived. We're now the fifth. Um, and on top of that, um, with other things um, like match day revenue, which, again, is something that can make a difference. Um, 
you know, they only wanted to expand the stadium to 54,000 and are now umming and eyeing about whether to expand it to 60,000. Um, all of this tells me that they just don't have the drive, but they don't also have the resources to really make us compete with the very top teams. They've taken us as far as they can. They can't take us to that next level. Um, I've been saying this for several years, and I think that fans are now finally starting to realise that FSG have basically reached um, as far as they can in terms of what they can do for us as owners. Um, you know, they will continue to see us increase revenues um, on certain fronts, but unfortunately, other clubs are making strides on those same fronts um, to a greater degree and to a greater extent. And they're pulling away. And, you know, when the likes of Chelsea have their 60,000-seater stadium, when even Spurs, with their much smaller fan base, have their 61,500 stadium, in due course, their revenues will be exceeding ours. And, um, and in fact, Chelsea already are. So longer term, I ask listeners who are pro-FSG, what exactly about the FSG model will take us away from seven years of underachievement into a situation whereby we start winning things on a regular basis. I don't see it happening with these owners. Yes, I think we can win trophies because of Jurgen Klopp and with some of the players we have, but there'll be more a case of winning perhaps a trophy every two or three years, not winning trophies season after season like some of our rivals are able to achieve. And that's why I think the time has come for them to cash in on their investment for them to move on, them to accept that they can't match the expectations of the massive fan base that Liverpool has around the world. And the sooner they do that, the better. OK, I think that's a pretty good point to leave that where it is then. Uh, let's get into um, the matters on the pitch. So uh, January started with um, a very, very positive result away at Burnley. 2-1 win, and I tell you more, these are the games that we, in this situation, we don't normally win. Uh, and to do it in the manner that we did it, you know, that, that header late on, the, the the drive from midfield, the free kick, a cross goal, you know, we scored a Burnley goal to beat Burnley. It was, um, that I've got to say, that felt damn good. Oh, it did. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny one because I was actually um, at a wedding when the match was on, but I just couldn't help myself. I had to get my phone out and watch the game, um, which I was able to get away with. And, uh, yeah, it looked when that equaliser went in for Burnley late on. Oh, here we go. Yet again, letting a lead slip. Three points dropped, um, and it will be down to one point, two points missed. Uh, But then it was just a a brilliant Burnley-type goal. Set piece, assist from uh, Lovren, and a great diving header from Clavan in the what 94th minute was it? That was beautiful. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> uh, couldn't believe um, what a finish that was. That was uh, a sight to behold, and um, an assist by one of the most uh, derided Liverpool players of recent times as well. To boot, it just couldn't have been a more beautiful finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a few days later, we. Get, we get the debut of one Virgil van Dijk and um, it was almost written in the stars, wasn't it? He scores the winner, Cop in late on. 
to knock Everton out of the FA Cup. Um, you know, if the if Burnley was beautiful, this this was just sweet. It really was. Oh, it was absolutely. Um, you know, beating Everton um, at any time on any occasion is always beautiful. And uh, you know, again, set piece, uh, fantastic header by Van Dyke. Um, you've got to give Everton some credit though, if that's possible. They made more of a game of it this time round than they did in their embarrassing showing just a few weeks earlier. Uh, in fairness, in fairness, the, yeah, I've got to say, in fairness, my my son's under nine under nines team would have made uh, put up more of a fight uh, and and tried to come out and play football a bit more than Everton did in that league game. But anyway, oh, absolutely, yeah, it was embarrassing. Uh, you know, if I was an Everton fan, I'd have been thoroughly ashamed of my team. Uh, and yet, despite that, most Everton fans were celebrating um, a draw like they'd won a trophy. But uh, nonetheless, um, you know, still very, very sweet victory. Um, and uh, with a new signing, getting that header and playing very, very well. Otherwise, um, you know, it was uh, a great feel-good victory for, for the club. Just a shame that uh, running the FA Cup didn't last much longer. <laughs> yeah, oh, we'll, we'll save that bit because... Next up was a tremendous performance. It, it really, really was. Uh, Manchester City come to Anfield unbeaten in the in the league. Um, I mean, it ends up four three, but you know we were four one up, and and you know there's not always about it. We we were smashing them. I mean, this was just uh, th- this was just fantastic. It, it really was a fantastic performance, a fantastic game of football to watch, uh, and a, just a terrific result. It was um, incredible. Um, what did we have? 368 presses in that game, broke breaking all records. I think it was something like 100 or more presses greater than the previous record set against Bournemouth only a few weeks earlier. Um, it was just non-stop relentless um, football, um, which was great because it really gave the crowd something to really get up for. Uh, the fans themselves reacted fantastically well to see Liverpool on the front foot and constantly in Man City faces. Um, they just were given no time whatsoever to get their game going until really the end, as you say. Um, but uh, that scoreline did... Um, flatter Man City up until about 85 minutes in they very much were second best we were all over them all over the pitch winning battles here there and everywhere the midfield um, you know I've been critical of them this season I think there have been many games where the midfielders not really performed um, all that well or effectively they sure did in this game they were magnificent and against one of the best midfields in all of Europe um, that was quite um, the performance. It was, uh, you know, one of the standout Liverpool performances of recent years, and um, you know, some of the finishes as well were just a joy to behold. And um, you know, it was such a high to see that. Um, so to then go into the Swansea game a few days later, well, that was just peak Liverpool, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. Uh, yeah. 
we were on high. You know, everyone's talking about that performance against Man City. Expectations start to rise. Everyone's excited. You know, he can play like that and beat Man City. You know, the best team in the league who are walking away with with the title. So as fans, we were dining out for a week on on that performance, on that result. Uh, we get to Swansea and it's almost as though the players had been dining out on that Man City game as well because it it just wasn't there for me. The, the, there was there was no urgency. There was there, it was a very very flat performance uh, and very I was just so so disappointed. I know that the Swansea goal was was quite fortunate, you know, in in terms of the ricochet and landed to the player. We had chances, we didn't put them away, but again, it's that old adage: if um, if Plan A is not working for us and our our front line isn't firing the isn't firing and putting the goals in, we just don't have anything in reserve. It feels like. Well, that's it. I mean, we can't expect the front three to um, fire all the time, and um, that's when the midfield um, needs to contribute, and that's where I think. Um, the loss of Coutinho certainly was felt because obviously he um, chips in and was doing so, especially in the first half of the season with vital goals and assists. And, um, you know, the uh, performance itself was, uh, as you say, very flat, underwhelming. Um, and what was disappointing is that there was a decent break between the uh, City game and then the one against Swansea. I think it was eight days so, you know, given that break, you would have felt that would have been adequate time to prepare, uh, recharge uh, the batteries after an exhausting performance against City and go into the Swansea game looking to dominate. And, um, you know, if you looked at that game in the first 15, 20 minutes, we were in control. Um, the crowd, the Swansea crowd were very flat. They were expecting or fearing the, the worst. They thought we, we would come along and absolutely rout um, their team. And um, it wasn't quite happening. And then, you know, the longer we went into the game, um, they actually grew in confidence. And then it just turned out to be one of those days. But we did have some guilt at chances as well, don't forget. You know, we had uh, three or four big, big chances. Um, and, you know, if we'd taken even a couple of those, um, we should still have come away with um, a couple of points. But it was just one of those days when nothing just quite clicks for you. And um, I was hard hoping that uh, that would be a one-off, but unfortunately it wasn't. No, it certainly wasn't. I mean, we were on the post-match pod, uh, and what really hit me with this one, not just the performance and the results, the fact that, you know, this wasn't a team that sat in a low block. uh, You know, they they actually came out and played and outplayed us, but this was arguably our best chance to win a trophy this season, and we shot ourselves in the foot. Uh, Just a dreadful performance against West Brom, and we've got to say, we deserve to lose. Yeah, I can't disagree. Um, you know, and if it wasn't for VAR, we arguably would have lost by an even heavier scoreline um, because that um, disallowed goal for West Brom otherwise would have stood unless it was reviewed. It was just a very strange performance in some ways because, um, you know, we... Uh, just completely switched off and uh, you know, West Brom able to just glide through our midfield as if it wasn't there. And um, you know, the goalkeeper himself, you know, Minile returning back in between the sticks was just uh, 
quite a bizarre decision. And, you know, we might as well have not even had a goalkeeper because, you know, I think he only made one actual save in that, that game. And that was a very straightforward one from memory. And, uh, you know, it just showed what a costly thing it is for us to have. Um, certainly one very bang average goalkeeper in Mignolet and another that hasn't quite impressed like we were hoping he would in Karius. But, you know, that said, you know, and as we've talked about, um, it's good that the fact he's been given the chance to prove himself for the remainder of the season. And let's see exactly what he's capable of. But um, it was very disappointing because, you know, we all want Liverpool to win trophies. And this was our most realistic chance of winning a trophy and to go out in the fifth round for the third successive season um, was very disappointing against a team that travels very poorly and have been extremely poor all season long um, for them to turn up and uh, outplay us. And, you know, you know, in terms of the battle of tactics, um, you know, for Pardew to outsmart Klopp in the way he did uh, just made it feel all the worse. And so it was a, it was a real low. And then, you know, add on to that, you know, the frustrations over the dawning realization we weren't going to bring in a replacement for Coutinho. And then obviously talk that Sturridge might be on his way. Um, you know, it was really a uh, fume central that night, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, things, I, that's it. I think things were really sort of, um, threatening to become quite sort of toxic. I think that the edge has been slightly taken off it by, as we've mentioned already, you know, the performance last night away to Huddersfield. 3-1 win, quite a comfortable performance, really. Uh, good performance by many players, and at least we looked like we were back on it. So it, it, I know Huddersfield aren't the strongest opposition, but it was good to see us back on the type of performance that we were seeing previous to the two defeats. Oh, it was. That's right. But, you know, if I was a fan of one of our rivals, you know, I'd be sitting there thinking, right, that David Magnus just come up with tactics to basically gift his mate, mate's team three points because Huddersfield just didn't make any effort whatsoever. It was a very strange performance by his team. Yet again, you know, even at Anfield, um, I thought the tactics were very strange. Um, the performance was very flat. And, uh, yeah, I know they've been on a disappointing run of form, but even then at home, um, and you know, the, the crowd was really up for it. They just didn't make any effort whatsoever. Um, not that I'm complaining. I was very, very glad, uh, to see Liverpool finally get, uh, back onto winning ways. Um, and you know, certainly the, the game itself, um, you know, brought with it many positives. Obviously Henderson was back. He's coming for, Huge amounts of stick this season for many fans, myself included, but I thought he acquitted himself very well throughout the game. Um, Emre Chan, you know, he may be off, he might not be off, but uh, certainly for those 90 minutes, you know, you can't fault his performance. And um, it was a good all-round team effort. And um, I'm hoping that we take some of the um, encouraging performances out of that and uh, deliver something even better against Spurs at the weekend. Let's hope so. We will certainly get to all our predictions later in the show. But before we do, uh, awards then. First up is Goal of the Month Awards. And more, who won your Goal of the Month for January? 
Well, mine has to go to uh, Mane uh, for the third goal at Anfield. Um, you know, it was not only the, the finish itself with his weaker foot. Um, it was a, it was a stunning finish, but um, for it to come in that two minute or so period where you know we got a second and then we hit the cross. Sorry, we hit the post and then you know just a minute or so later that magnificent, fantastic finish by Mane. It just lifted the roof off of Anfield, didn't it? And uh, that was just a stunning, stunning goal. And that that's the one for me in terms of goals at goal of the month. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with that one. Uh, the, the technique was absolutely, it was stunning. It's such a difficult technique. He pulled it off perfectly. Uh, I've got to give an honourable mention to Firmino against Huddersfield. Uh, it had... Um, similarities to a certain former South American striker, uh, the, just the cheekiness, uh, giving the keeper the eyes and then slotting it near post. Terrific, a terrific goal. But yeah, money the same, money for me. Yeah, for, for all the same reasons as you, more brilliant, uh, brilliant goal. Uh, what about player of the month or more? That that one's got to be a slightly more difficult uh, task. It is. Um, you know, we've seen some fine performances during the month, uh, uh, as well as some not so fine ones. But uh, consistency wise, you've got to say that Bobby Firmino had a, a really good January, um, you know, scored a number of goals, you know, chipped in with his usual assists, uh, was a constant menace um, in those better performances, especially against Man City. Um, you know, just fantastic all round performance there. And um, he really seems to now be stepping up to the next level. There have always been questions about whether he truly can score um, at the kind of rate you'd expect of a number nine. Well, he's on 19 goals in all competitions this season, and I'm sure plenty more goals to come uh, between now and the the end of the season. Um, So it was really encouraging to see him step up when there were concerns, obviously, that with his mate moving on to Barcelona, um, you know his head might drop and his performances would drop as a result but we've seen no evidence of that he's been if anything even better yeah it's a good show it's a good show my, my personal choice I'm going to go for Andy Robertson I think he's he's really stepped up to the plate uh, since you know since he's come in at left back uh, with Moreno while he was out injured I thought he's played really well and and his yeah consistency I think I think that's the key thing there. He's uh, he's improved his all-round game, and he's been playing at a really good, consistent level. So uh, I'll give it to to Robertson for for this month. So that's yeah, he'd be a close uh, second for me. Yeah, very yeah. very good this this month, absolutely. Uh, well, at least we're thinking along the same lines anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so there's our awards. Uh, we're going to move on to the quiz then. It's this month from when. So basically, Mo, I'll tell you something that happened in the month of January from Liverpool's history. Uh, all you've got to do is give me the year. So you know, traditionally, January is all about uh, the FA Cup third round. So first question tonight is on that. Now, Liverpool eventually overcame Luton 5-3 and, and it included Xabi Alonso scoring from inside his own half. But can you name the year? Uh, 2008. Ooh, close. It was 2006. 
We did actually play them again a couple of years, two or three years later, actually. Yeah, uh, so I can understand the confusion. But uh, the one with the 70 yard goal where uh, Gerard initially turns and shouts at him and then starts clapping, yeah, that was yeah. 2006. Right. So I remember the goal. <laughs> right. Second question. It was in the month of January that Liverpool signed Maxi Rodriguez, but what was the year? That was 2010. It was indeed. Well done. 2010. You are correct. Third question. Swansea brought disappointment this month, obviously, as we've discussed. But um, in the FA Cup third round, after an initial nil-nil uh, draw at the Vetchfield, so the clue there is a while ago, uh, Liverpool did win the replay at Anfield 8-0. And it included a hat-trick from Ian Rush and two from John Barnes. So can you name the year this took place? 1994. Ooh, no, it was a bit before that. It was actually 1990. Oh. <laughs> that was a tough right. one. Yeah. <laughs> back to, back to, back to uh, transfer ones. Um, another January transfer signing. Sorry to to rub you know the salt in the wounds here by mentioning signings, but uh, another January signing for Liverpool was Daniel Agger. Um, but can you name the year that he joined the Reds? I think that was two thousand and seven. <gasps> oh, you were one year out. It was actually two thousand and six. Oh, right. I thought, thought, no, you won't go for two 2006 answers or questions. In the well, you Never see, I, yeah. I, I'm slippery like that. Trick one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, final question then. Uh, Rochdale were the visitors to Anfield in the FA Cup third round, and they were roundly beaten 7-0. And it included a Stan Collymore hat-trick. So which year was this one? Um, 1996. It was indeed. Well done. That was a tough one. Yeah. I like to give the little. Well, clubs, I, I yeah. know that he was only with us for about one season, and I think it was. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. He didn't stick around too long. Uh, <laughs> right. There we go. Anyway, two out of five. That's not, not too bad, you know. Uh, these these quiz questions are not that easy. Um, but no. time for us, no, no, it's time for us to look ahead anyway. So February's fixtures, uh, not too many. So I think, you know, rotation doesn't have to play too much of an issue. Um, but we start off February on Sunday the 4th. We're at home to Spurs in the Premier League. So Spurs at home, win, lose or draw? Win for me. Um, they generally don't play well at Anfield. And uh, I think we'll turn up and against the bigger teams, especially those that um, like to play their football. Um, we generally tend to do well against them. So I, I expect a, a win and it's a big, big game for both teams. But I think we'll turn up and I think we'll uh, we'll uh, beat them quite convincingly, in fact. Mm. I'm going to go for a win as well. Perhaps not quite so convincingly, though. Um, next match is Sunday the 11th. 
uh, we're away to Southampton in the Premier League. So win, lose or draw on that one more. I'm actually going to predict a draw. Um, when we have ex-Southampton players go back to um, St Mary's, they generally play poorly or um, well, just, you know, under par. The atmosphere at Southampton seems to get to them. And clearly we've got several ex-Southampton players. Yeah. It'd be hard um, not to pick a team with an ex-Southampton player in it. Yes, absolutely. So... I fear that that will kind of get to some of those players, and uh, so and it's not been a happy hunting ground, you know, for us as well. I mean, we've had draws and defeats there in recent times, so I, I suspect we'll get a draw there. Yeah, I I, I actually think the same. I, I do fancy a draw for this one, uh, and not to um, you know to set you off, but I, I fancy a draw for the next game as well because. It's then a midweek match, uh, Wednesday the 14th, uh, Valentine's night. We're away to Porto in the Champions League. So uh, first leg, um, how do you think this one's going to go more? I predict a draw again. Yep, so I agree. Um, it, Porto not going to be easy. They're doing very well um, in Portugal. I think they're top of the league and... Um, They've been getting some big victories. I think one of their key players just got injured in the last week or so. Um, so maybe, maybe that might be a blessing for us. But uh, that will certainly be a big test. And if we can come away with a draw or even a narrow loss, um, that still isn't um, the end of the world. So, uh, But I, I think we'll have enough to get a draw out of the game. Yep. Uh, and the final one is Saturday the 24th. We're at home to West Ham in the Premier League. So win, lose or draw at home to West Ham? Win for me. We should be far too good for them. So uh should be a comfortable win. And uh, three more points to get us to uh, the Magic 75, which I think is what's needed to make top four this season. Yeah, and it's, it's more boys as well, isn't it? So I don't think he's ever won at Anfield. So... I hope we're not putting a curse on that, but yeah, I'm going to go for the win as well on that one. So, so that was it. I mean, uh, yeah, um, a real roller coaster of a month. I think that's fair to say, wouldn't you, more? Yes, it has. Um, you know, one or two highs, a um, lot of fume, and, and obviously lows with the likes of Coutinho going. But um, we move on, and let's just hope that. Um, like last year, despite this disappointing January transfer window, we can um, you know see out the season on a high, consolidate top four for the second season, and then um, make some very positive big moves in the summer transfer window. And if FSG are to be believed, rather than myself, you know we'll have all of that Coutinho money to spend, plus plenty more from other player sales and the you know record-setting revenues we're due to achieve this season as well. Um, so with all that money, I hope we can bring in, you know, top goalkeeper, um, defenders and all the other key positions that we need to strengthen. And, um, if that's the case, then, uh, you know, we've still got something to be positive about and look forward to for the remainder of the season. Yeah, uh, uh, that, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's all about what's ha- what happens on the pitch now. So let's, let's hope we can push on, uh, keep things positive and, and like you say, build, build in the summer and we'll see where it takes us um, 
but thanks for joining us um it's good to get your your input because i know you know a lot of people are quite myself i'm kind of on the fence with with fsg i'm not really in in either camp um you know we i think we have a lot of people who are either kind of um in the middle or perhaps you could say maybe pro we're not too many that are dead against and and you're quite openly skeptical so i think interesting to get your viewpoint on the on the whole perspective and, and where it sits with fsg yeah no I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk about it and you know it's been interesting that there have been people that um over the years have been strong advocates for and have backed fsg who this month have not maybe quite turned against them but certainly have started to question them and i think more fans need to do that they need to feel that they can hold the owners to account in the same way that we look to hold the players and the manager to account and you know i think it's healthy to do that and to challenge them and hopefully by doing that it will either um, encourage them to step up or, or um, possibly even follow my wishes and admit that perhaps um, they've taken the club as far as they can and maybe it's time to now cash in and sell up and uh, bring somebody else in who's got a bit more um, to bring to the club to help it compete financially against the Man Cities and United of this world. Absolutely. So um, th- that's it for this edition of the Res Review. But before we go, one last thing. It's the final word. And as a guest, uh, you get the final word more. So can you sum up the month of January for Liverpool Football Club in five words? Well, I'm afraid it will have to be based on so my earlier diatribes on FSG and my five words are FSG, it's time to sell. Uh, there you go, folks. Uh, that's it for th- this month's um, Renzi Review. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next month. But until then, from me, Andy Wills, it's bye-bye now. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.